Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. I hope you find something in this next hour that really inspires you and, and opens you to this infinite field of possibility. We are going to be talking about so much. Your future and the evolution of our planet are on the agenda. So imagine this. Imagine Hearing this statement back in 1984, the freedom we seek is the emancipation of the genius of the human race. I love that statement. I just want to pause and read it again. The freedom we seek is the emancipation of the genius of the human race. Wow, imagine the shifts in consciousness and the evolution of social forms and planetary structures if we were to not only emancipate our genius, but harness it collectively. This is just one thing I love and appreciate about our guest today. She not only gives us the hope and inspiration to see what is possible, But she encourages us, reminding us that we indeed have the tools, the fortitude, and the resolve to make a leap towards a more conscious, positive evolution on our planet. And now with her latest book, we're going to explore what she means by the promise will be kept. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart. And settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest. She's been called the voice for conscious evolution by Deepak Chopra. She is the subject of Neil Donald Walsh's book, The Mother of Invention. And many would agree she is a global ambassador for conscious change. At her heart, our guest is a visionary and social innovator. She is an evolutionary thinker who believes that global change happens when we work collectively and selflessly for the greater good of the whole. She realizes that the lessons of evolution teach us that problems are evolutionary drivers and crises precede transformation, giving a new way of seeing and responding to our global situation. As a prolific author and educator, she's written several books on social and planetary evolution. She's produced, hosted, and contributed to countless documentaries seen by millions of people around the world. And here we go back to that quote. In 1984, her name was placed in nomination for the vice presidency of the United States on the Democratic ticket, calling for a peace room to scan for, map, connect, and communicate what's working in America and the world. Her nomination speech she eloquently delivered that statement above about our genius. And I want to talk to her about our genius. We're going to talk to her about the Peace Room and her most recent book, The Evolutionary Testament of Co-Creation, The Promise Will Be Kept. Welcome, Barbara. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it's wonderful to talk with you because you understand all of this. You are all of this yourself. It's, it's just great. Thank you for having me. 
Oh, thank you, Barbara. Yeah, I think that it is always fun to have these conversations when we really can just dig into the good stuff and and keep rolling with it. It just it just gets water wider and broader and deeper and just more yummy all the time. So, I love having conversations with you. I'm going to start though. We have a tradition here on the show and you've done this for me before, but I'm trusting in evolution that that something new might be peeked out of this question for you. So I'm going to start with our traditional question, Barbara. What does all things connected mean to you? It means to me how nature has evolved for billions of years by connecting separate parts through allurement, quarks with quarks, you know, atoms with atoms, molecules with molecules, in order to make greater holes it appears that the connecting is not just a nice superficial thing to be cooperative. Connecting is the way nature evolves. And in that, in that evolution of nature, <clears throat> you could say there's eros at the center of evolution. There is, evolution is at the, the eros is at the center. The, as Mark Gaffney said, the, um, the universe is a love story. So when we get to us, we have so much brilliance on this planet, but it's almost all in separate silos and in competition with each other, as in our liberal democracy happening right now. So that doesn't work (laughs) to get Mm. to the next stage of evolution. So the reason I'm so excited about the idea of connecting the separate parts, it's the difference between devolution and evolution. It's the beginning of conscious evolution, meaning that our species, so brilliant, and yet the self-conscious mind has really suffered from an illusion of separateness all the way through, really. Mm. So those of us who are now attracted to joining to create, and I like to use the word synergy more than just connect, because synergy means when you join with someone, each gets to be more of who they are by joining than they would separate. It's like, uh, you know, why did an amoeba become a multicellular creature? Because there's a tendency to want to release more potential in evolution, and you can't do it alone. That's it. Thank you. Mm, Yeah, that's it. Oh, wow. Thanks, Barbara. You know, that that just brings me back to that statement in our introduction. And before we get into the book, maybe we can go there. Because in 1984, when you delivered that speech, you talked about the emancipation of our genius. And now one of your one of my other favorite phrases that you say, besides um, really that this is the freedom that we seek, is also our ability to join genius and synergistic convergence, to join our genius. And so we're not only liberating or emancipating the genius, but harnessing it as a collective. Do you want to talk just a little bit about what you meant in 1984 and bring it into the present moment of of the freedom we seek is the emancipation of the genius of the human race? Oh, I love that question. See, here's, here's one of my most fundamental, <clears throat> somewhat controversial awareness, is that in the human species has had, up till recently, two very great motivations. One is self-survival, and the other is self-reproduction. <clears throat> and we have reproduced up to maximum in the sense that if we were to double the population again, we would destroy the world. 
So this started about the 1960s, and women woke up, and suddenly having maximum number of babies was no longer... Like, I did that. I had five children. So the uh, self-reproduction or procreation phase is now a choice rather than a necessity. And fewer and fewer people are having many children wherever there is a choice. So what's happening, I believe, as in having a baby, you join genes through sexual attraction to have the baby. When you are at the next level like we're at, you're attracted to joining genius. That means you have a vocation, you have a life purpose, and you cannot do it alone. <clears throat> so you're looking for partners. And if you find somebody who is attuned to you, whose genius liberates more of your genius and vice versa, that by joining genius, each, each individual or group is much more than they could be alone, you get vocational arousal, and the sexual drive turns into what I call a supra-sexual drive to join genius. Mm. You know, the, one of the things that you are so gifted at, Barbara, is creating these new words and taking our old models and forms and really evolving them so that our consciousness can even grasp it to understand. And I love how you just did that is, is you know, from from yes joining genius and our vocational arousal and really we're creating this new co-creative culture when we're talking about this so i just want to introduce this book and dig in a little bit because i think there's some important things here another thing that i have always appreciated about you is that you create almost a very clear roadmap for people so if they're listening to you and they're inspired by you you have these roadmaps one of them is your wheel of co-creation but i have to tell you this evolutionary testament of co-creation the promise will be kept feels like another one of those roadmaps that will really assist people in this emancipation of our genius of how do we go within how do we create this internal scripture and really bring it out and and do that so let's talk about this book for a minute barbara and i know there's a a story behind it it's been here forever i read the other book i loved it loved it loved it the revolutionary testament and this no what was it called it wasn't that what was your first book called revelation because it was dealing only with the book of revelation and this yes. other book is Gospels, Acts, and Epistles. Excellent. Okay, so yeah, tell us about this book. Um, the Evolutionary Testament, The Promise Will Be Kept. You really create this beautiful, um, what do I want to say? It's almost this reflection, and you, you say you're not a scholar, you're not a theologian, but these are your reflections. This is your inspiration from really sitting with the Gospels and the Epistles, and then all, all also just kind of like giving it a twist and really hearing even a higher octave of the message. So we hear your voice as you're processing it, and then we hear your essential self or this higher voice coming in and really elevating it even greater. I love it. Tell us about this book. How did, how did this all unfold for you? Well, I'll tell you briefly, the way it happened is I am 
very often in my life trying to write a book on the future of humanity, and it's very hard to do <clears throat> because nobody knows for sure. And I was taking a walk. It was in Santa Barbara. It was in 1980 when I got to a monastery with a very big cross right in the beautiful garden of, garden of Mount Calvary, very symbolic. And there was a group of hang gliders jumping off a higher mountain in the beautiful day of Santa Barbara above the cross in butterfly-colored wings. And I got this immediate image, and it was mass metamorphosis. And I was immediately remembering St. Paul's remark, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed. Mm. And then Jesus said, You will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will you do in the fullness of time. And that you are my friend. I am your friend. I am here to show you what you can do, not what I can do. So it just struck me before I went into the monastery, oh, my God, what if the whole thing is true? Because I was with Jonas Salk at that time, and he had taken me to these uh, bio labs uh, that, where people are researching uh, aging, death, and so forth, and they wrote on their door, stamp out physical death. All right. Well, so Jesus, with the, the crucifixion, the three days in the tomb, which I call a tomb of metamorphosis, the most really amazing part is the tomb of metamorphosis, totally, radically appears as a new person in the story. I'm, I'm not saying what happened or what didn't happen, but the story as it was told, as it was written, that Mary Magdalene saw it, and because she felt she saw it, and the other disciples felt they saw a real person, not just a cosmic Christ, not just uh, an inspiration, a person who had transformed. That was what did the entire story of, of Christianity would not have existed without it. St. Paul said, without the crucifixion, our faith has no meaning. Without the resurrection, our faith has no meaning. So I then went in and picked up the New Testament in the monastery, and I started to open up to one passage after the next that I was reading with evolutionary eyes. And the, the perspective was that somebody had come on this earth, using your phrase, Julie, with a map of evolution coded within him. However he got here, he personified the map of where we're going, both in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount and the caring for each other. But that was not the full story of Jesus. He, he, he knew he was going to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew he would be crucified. I mean, it's totally, totally horrible to have done that. But Why? And why did God, why did he think God wanted him to go for that crucifixion? In my interpretation, it was he had to demonstrate the radical new of the resurrection of the being, of the body, and of the life. That, this is the amazing thing about it. The culture that believed that, mainly the Judeo-Christian culture that grew out of it, particularly the Christian, of course, but Jesus was the greatest Jew that ever lived, the story that comes out of it is we are all being changed. Out of this came science, 
Out of this came technology. Out of this came the whole idea of individualism and democracy and freedom. All of that. Such that the human species right now has the power to do many of the things that Jesus did. We can create an abundance. We can fly off this earth. We can communicate with the speed of light. If you take that seriously, the promise is being kept, but it's not being infused with love. We haven't thought to infuse the new capacities of humanity with Christ's love. When we do, we have a new species. We have a new being. We have, we have the resurrection from the dying of the old to the emerging of the new. That's what it's about. Mm. I love that. I, I really appreciate how, you know, a lot of people will talk about the literal transfiguration and that humanity will have these superpowers. And whether we ever evolve to that or not, what you're demonstrating is we already have demonstrated yeah. that we have evolved with the technology and I and I really think the explanation exclamation point goes on the heart piece with doing it with love, like bringing that back into science and technology. Thank you for for doing that, Barbara, and just really showing us where we are as a species because we really have evolved into a lot of those things. And you know, Julie, a lot of people that I know who are spiritually motivated say things like, "I don't, I, I don't like technology." I'm distressed about this technology. I think it's a very dangerous thing. And it is It is dangerous. If it's not infused with love, it probably will destroy us. So if I have a grandstand play here, it's say, folks, let's infuse our new technology with the love of Christ. Mm. Yeah, and this is what your search for what kind of person can handle all this power. What's this new image of a human being who'd be able to use these new powers for good? And the bottom line is, infuse it with love and we all can do it. Right. And I'll add one more thing to this. This is my, my latest. It's not in the book. But I have felt intuitively that we are, many of us, are on the threshold of being a new species. And I'm calling the new species Homo universalis. Now, Homo universalis is a species that has all the spiritual impulse that many of us are incarnating, that has developed life purpose like you and I have. I mean, are giving and see that life purpose as sacred. It's not just a nice job. It's totally sacred impulse. And who has taken the new technologies to be a personal... Uh, expression of who we are. Like, uh, when I hold my iPhone in my hand, and I actually take personally that the wisdom of the entire age is in there, I mean, it is accessible through Google, that I can reach 7 billion people instantaneously through this phone. And that's part of me. Just like I have a thumb that I can move. That was a great achievement, you know, in the Cambrian age, that they had to build new bodies this is a new Cambrian age. We're building new body parts with all this technology. And somehow, I have been given the feeling that that's part of who we are. So when you say that, then you're a new species. Because mm. I'm going to be interviewing Dr. Ted Chu on Wednesday on the next webinar that I'm doing. And Ted Chu is 
uh, is a director of the International Finance Corporation at the World Bank. But more than that, he's written a book called Human Purpose and Trans Human Purpose and Transhuman Potential. So here's what he thinks. He thinks that that planet Earth's greatest gift to the universe will be a new species and that what we can be doing with this new technology with robotics and artificial intelligence and so on is build a species that can leave the Earth and live in the cosmos and contribute Earth's genius to the universe because biological carbon-based bodies really don't survive well in outer space. And you just really can't do long-distance travel as a carbon-based body. So he, he came into my um, house one time. We were giving a party for his book. And he saw my map on the wall, Julie. You know, the handwritten map of the spiral and the wheel. Mm-hmm. And beyond our turn on the spiral is another two or three called Universal Humanity. And he said to me, he's this very straightforward gentleman from Shanghai, Barbara, he said, you're my partner. I said, why is that? He said, because you know where we're going. So let's say, Julie, ultimately we're going for universal life. And uh, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I'll, I'll create a place for you. You can come too. I said, that's where I'm going. So I don't know if I'm going to go up in, in the, uh, I don't know, symbolically as a new species or if it's going to be through consciousness. You know what Jose Arguez thinks is that when the noosphere, the, the, the global brain media in, in our new nervous system, gets its collective eyes and connects in love, that all of us, our whole nervous system on this planetary body, will be infused with love and it will be like a baby's nervous system when it finally wakes up and it's in its mother's arms. In other words, we'll turn on to realize we're one and we're whole. And any noosphere on any planet that does that is immediately in touch with any other planetary noosphere. And that it's not about spaceship, it's about noosphere with noosphere. In other words, we will have global intelligence so coordinated that we will be able to make direct contact wherever we need to. And then there's the other view that the Akashic field, the underlying substrate of reality is coded with everything that ever was, is, and will be, and we're, we can tune into that. So putting all these possibilities in front of us, homo universalis, is an explorer of all of that. Mm. You know, each time that I listen to you, you, you drop in one more cog on that wheel that moves us forward. <laughs> and I, and I, I really appreciate that because those cogs just keep coming and there's one more cog to keep turning us forward. So thank you. And this, this is just a question with a just brief moment before we go to break but Barbara what does our future human look like what do you think this homo universalis looks like well here's an interesting observation everything that endures is beautiful every worm every snake every plant every bee every bird every person and if you look at the early phase like of eohippus an early horse it's it's cumbersome as compared to a beautiful, sleek, 
modern horse. If you look at the the aesthetics of the earliest humans, Homo erectus, Homo habilis, Homo neanderthal, as compared to a beautiful woman or a beautiful man, we get more beautiful. Uh, Mm -hmm. So here's an intuition, is that nature, the design of nature creates beauty. All you need to do is look around at nature. It's extraordinarily beautiful. And every creature is, if it endures, and the early phases of things are not so beautiful. So, like, we have a lot of ugly things going on in the human species right now. We have ugly towns. We have ugly machines. We have, we have the, the climate change ruining the whole environment, the destruction of environment. So I'm assuming if we survive, we will be ever more beautiful as individuals, as, as the ecology on planet Earth, and that we will actually create a new species because the cosmos is there. And it, it couldn't be that we're one teeny-weeny little planet and that's all in a universe of trillions and billions. If you've ever seen, I saw a picture of the Andromeda galaxy on um, a NASA photograph. And it, the awesome thing is you just scroll for, it seems like, hours across the, a galaxy, each of one, there's galaxies within galaxies within galaxies with all the stars and suns. And, and I have a brother-in-law who doesn't believe in any meaning in the universe. So he said, this is, but he said, I have to admit, this is really big. So I said, what do you think the universe is up to? Mm. I mean, nobody knows the answer to that. But if you look at the Andromeda um, galaxy with all, all, all that's in it, and that's only one galaxy... What is the universe up to, folks? <laughs> I love that question. The fact and, you know, is don't, don't know. We better yeah. find, we want to grow up and find out. That's my point. <laughs> I want to grow up with you and find out. <laughs> and I'm just seeing all these beautiful social forms and beautiful new structures and systems, and, and not just the ecology, but um, just the beautiful use of technology to advance us. So this is getting juicy, but we have so much more to talk about. We are talking with Barbara Marks Hubbard about her new book, The Evolution, The Evolutionary Testament of Co-Creation, The Promise Will Be Kept. And we haven't even told you what that promise is yet. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, more with Barbara Marks Hubbard. This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha-ha, I win. Whoa! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? (laughs) What? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What'd he say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Remember, adopt! Have you ever lost a cat? 
And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the lost cat magnet invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes. That one. The free-to-be-me you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Hey, if you are inspired by our conversation today, and maybe you just want to listen to it again or share it with your friends, you can visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find the archive link and a list of upcoming guests as well. And also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie. I love to get your feedback and and questions and comments, and, and I love to keep that conversation going. So thank you for joining me there. And we are talking with Barbara Marks Hubbard today, and you can find Barbara at evolve.org. Again, all of her programs, links to books, videos, blogs, and a lot of information is all right there. It is evolve.org. Org. And Barbara, this I, I want to get into this map that I'm seeing with the Evolutionary Testament, but let's share with our readers first, what do you mean by the promise will be kept? Well, the promise is so clear when Jesus said something like, you will do the works that I do and greater works than these will you do in the fullness of time. First of all, it's obviously future-oriented. And then if you look at everything that he did pre-crucifixion and post-crucifixion, pre-crucifixion, of course, is the great moral beatitude, Sermon on the Mount, love ye one another, do unto others. That is absolutely essential for us to survive. Secondly, he could raise Lazarus from the dead. He could produce in abundance. He could heal by walking through a town, well, we're beginning to be able to do all that. We can produce an abundance, too much abundance, really. We can, we can heal. 
we can resurrect little DNA from the dead. Actually, the man who invented nanotechnology one day called me up years ago, and he said, Barbara, I think we can do resurrection. I said, what do you mean, Eric, Eric Drexler? And he said, well, we're able to take from a simple uh, DNA of a cell and resurrect it. It's an information code. In other words, life itself is information. It's not like it's just pulsing uh, being. There is no matter without observation in the quantum field. So I began to see, okay, this is we can do resurrections. And one day I had a meeting at the World Future Society called Jesus the Future Human, and I invited a technologist, an astronaut, uh, somebody who was a major physicist, to stand with me, and I read a miracle. It was said Jesus did, and then I asked them what they could do, and they could do all of them. Mm. You just haven't made the connection, Julie. So the promise will be kept would be the type of person with the deepest moral love of one another with the ability to heal, to travel with the speed of light, to be connected in the noosphere to, to all life on this planet, that would be able to restore the earth, that would be able to contact other life. And that's the promise will be kept. And we're going through, I think, a crucifixion of the old that is like the, the three days in the tomb of metamorphosis. And what is it that is being crucified among, about us it's our illusion of separation and dominance and control, even within so-called liberal democracy that we're in, the dominance and control of one having to destroy the other to win, that you almost have to. It was very touching when Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders, I think it was in Iowa, it was very, very close, very close, like one or two decimal points close, and his folks said, you've got to attack Hillary. You cannot live up to your desire not to attack if you want to win. And, you know, he, he didn't want to do that. And he only lost by a few decimal points. So probably he's going to win a lot in a few of the others, and we don't know what's going to happen there, but the entire pressure is to try to destroy the other. So that is going to... That's our own crucifixion. And if you want to say it's a, that... Our three days in the tomb as a species, all of us who would like to live the Sermon on the Mount, would like to heal, to create an abundance, to treat everybody equal. You know, what Jesus did, he walked through a village, and what really happened? He was loving everybody. He invited everybody to dinner. (laughs) Now, we don't think that's such a big deal, but in those days, to invite somebody to eat with you who wasn't of your class was sacrilegious. And who really hated him was the scribes and the Pharisees because they owned the, the culture. They had the hierarchical power. Jesus, they couldn't, nobody could hold that hierarchical power in his midst. Whatever he did, it destroyed it because he just acted out of total love and equality with everyone. And he destroyed the social system for them. It's really true. They're the ones who called for the for the uh, crucifixion. It wasn't really the Romans. Uh, it was the Jews who were in authority. So our culture, the people who are in authority of dominance and control and holding and owning the social structure, whether it may be, be in finance, finance or religion, or look at the, uh, 
the Vatican is so much better now with Pope Francis, but when I spoke before the Leadership Conference of Women Religious in uh, 2012, I think it was, I spoke of conscious evolution and Jonas Salk and overcoming physical death, and the, uh, you know, quoted from St. Paul and Teilhard de Chardin, ultra-humanity, all of that wonderful Catholic stuff, and a letter was then written in the Catholic uh, Reporter by the head of the Vatican's Discipline of the Faith, which used to be the Inquisition, and he said, the Leadership Conference of Women Religious is really, really at fault here, because not only do they have feminist speaking, but they had Barbara Marks Hubbard talking about conscious evolution. This is destroying the faith of the sisters. This is overcoming the, uh, it's it, it denying the omnipotence of God and the divinity of Christ. So I thought, whoa! <laughs> hmm. If this had been time of the Inquisition, I would have been burnt at the stake for just exactly what I'm saying now. <laughs> so the the, the uh, religion has way, way limbered up because it doesn't have much power anymore. Yeah. And I said to uh, Ilya Delio while she was on my webinar last week, I said, let's go see the Pope. Let's go see the Pope with the evolutionary perspective on reality, a la Teilhard de Chardin and, and uh, Sri Aurobindo and Ilya Delio herself, who's a magnificent uh, teacher and nun. She's, she's like my sister because she's teaching the Catholics cosmology. She says, you cannot be a Catholic if you don't understand the structure of the universe. Period. It's over. Finished. Mm. Catholicism is finished. So this is like big time here. Yeah, there's so much fear in the actual structures of religion as everything is breaking down. You know, the actual systems that are holding it are really constricted with fear. I remember I just last week was in a meeting with a bunch of pastors around a table and we were talking about inviting people to tell their God stories and one said, oh, well, we've got to be really careful. You know, we have to kind of screen that because, you know, what if they say this or that? And I said, what if it's all God moments? What if, what if all of it is? And, and it, I think that it kind of bounced off the walls when I said it out loud. I was like, what? <laughs> so there's so much fear happening. How can we help humanity relax into this new emergence, this integration of not only our science and religion, but also our understanding, our worldview, this universal worldview of evolution as the creation story, as, as God and the impulse of creation creating through us. How, what, what, what do you say to that? How do we help people relax into this next phase? Well, I really have a, a proposal about that. And you remember, of course, the Wheel of Co-Creation and I did 25 synergistic convergence conferences in the 1970s, and then I ran for vice president, proposing, proposing a peace room as sophisticated as a war room in the office of the vice presidency. And my name was placed in nomination, and I gave a talk on this. You can see it on um, YouTube. 
you know, Democratic National Convention 1984, Barbara Marks Hubbard. And what, when, when I spoke, the guard said to me, he whispered in my ear, right at the big platform there at the Moscone, he said, honey, they won't pay any attention to you. They never do. You're saying this for the universe. Mm. So that's been really deep in my soul. So here's what I'm proposing now with the Foundation for Conscious Evolution is to actually design our own peace room process that takes place in the hub of the wheel of co-creation. And we're going to practice this here in Berkeley. Is We invite people in. We have a big canvas on the floor, the structure of the spiral and the wheel. And people are, being, are going to be invited to enter in to say what they most want to create and what they most need to create it and to help each other do it. And they'll stand at the heart of the hub of the wheel, symbolically, on the floor, I mean, literally. And I will tell this, the impulse of evolution is coming through you right now. That's what happens in the hub of the wheel. What is your highest purpose? Where are you being motivated by the force of creation? And express it as well as you can, wherever you think it fits in the wheel of co-creation, and so a person will say, you know, I'm very, like what you might say, Julie, I'm really interested in helping people connect and developing all this. And you, you would say what you most are doing. And then we would ask, and what do you most need, Julie, that you don't yet have to fulfill your deepest heart's desire? And so the person says what they feel they need. And then other people in the room are there to say, how about this? Could I give that? Could I help you this way, that you get vocational connections spontaneously or joining genius. Mm. Now that's on a, and then people meet as an assembly of the whole, and we communicate that via a communication system out into the global arena. And we're going to do a couple of peace rooms. We're raising funds for this, and then we will replicate it throughout like say, if you wanted to do a peace room, you would be able to convene one yourself. But you would then be part of a nervous system on Internet that whatever happened at the peace room that you're convening and somebody has a need or a resource, it, they can get it to the Internet as well as to the people who happen to be in the room. And we're, we're seeing that as this replicates in the next few years with all these other organizations like IONS and Uplift and so many others who would like to do this, that we might <coughs> be able to have a planetary birth experience in 2020 of connecting with creative worldwide. Mm. In other words, the Noosphere could get its collective eyes and we're, we're the ones to do it. Who else is going to do this? <coughs> that's, that's what it is that I'm attracted to oh i am as well i just i hold that vision with you it is is really beautiful it it also reminds me of one of your quotes in the book where you talk about resonance leads to revelations mm -hmm. and just imagine holding all of these beautiful souls in a collective 
experience as the assembly of the whole and then really allowing them to be in this field of resonance I can imagine like the quote it leads to revelation wow what could come out of that kind of a gathering this is exactly true yeah so creative and I love that you know it is connecting what's creative so I, I want to tie this. I love the Peace Room, and I'm really excited. You just moved to Berkeley. You're looking at doing that. That experience in itself, I'm going to in, encourage our listeners to go back to evolve.org, sign up for the newsletter, stay in touch. You also have a couple groups on Facebook so that they can stay in the loop when that Peace Room gets going. They can be a part of it and participate. And sign also, up also for our free uh communion call every other Sunday for about an hour and a half, and also for global community that is forming around people who are attracted to this. And we're using the phrase uh, evolutionary family reunions. That, let's say you're part of a, of a small group, Julie, where, where you live, and you feel drawn to this larger purpose. If, if, you're, if you just place yourself in this community... You're still your own identity, exactly what you're doing, but you're now part of a larger family. And I think one of the things I foresee happening is that people with an evolutionary impulse in, within them, people who are attuned to this, will become a global family, really. Mm, global family. I love that. And so, Barbara, this takes me back to the map that I see with um, your most recent book, but also with all of these new evolving structures coming in is that when you talk about really inspiring people to live into their highest potential, when you say we're going to be these whole beings and we're, we're evolving into a co-creative structure. So how do they evolve into their own personal fullest potential? You're giving a map to connect. And we know greater connectivity and synergy helps evolve the organism. So it's not only evolving our world as a whole, but it's really helping bring out the best of who we are as individual cells within this greater whole. It's so true. And if we think of ourselves as the promise will be kept, and it's Part of the vision that I have is the nervous system of our planetary body, our noosphere, would actually be sufficiently connected with love and creativity, like on this phone, we're in the noosphere, that everyone who is at all available to this will feel a shift in their own consciousness, not only one by one, but many, because it is one nervous system, like it's one planet. And the, you know, the fact that when Mark Zuckerberg said that one day seven, uh, one billion people were on Facebook at the same time. And I've just gotten on Facebook, and it's kind of interesting because I resisted it. But I got on Facebook the other day, and I said, <clears throat> I would like someone to encourage me to stay on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, hundreds of people responded. <laughs> and then I thought, what now what will I do? So, you see, you have to watch out for what you ask for. <laughs> oh, 
of course we'll help you. Oh, we're so glad you wanted to. <laughs> and many of them I knew and many of them I didn't know. So one could, then I, then I did another thing on Facebook. I said, uh, I would like to propose an uh, ongoing definition of a new species called Homo universalis. And so I wrote up my definition of the new species and put, and pu- put it on the, the board. So now it's very interesting to me because I'm getting a lot of intelligent feedback from I don't like it at all to what does it mean here and adding thoughts. And it's a very good way to actually build a conversation. <clears throat> and I'm a novice at it, but I'm amazed at how well thought out it is, actually. Mm. Well, I love how you really do inspire people, and and when when you're speaking, people can feel like the sensate experience of their own fullest potential. So, thank you for bringing that gift to the world, because everywhere you go, people can really feel into their fullest potential. So, we we have just a few minutes left, maybe eight minutes or so. What would you say to our listeners? Barbara, what would you say that would inspire them to step into their highest potential right now? What What's the map? What's the What's your greatest word right here, right now, to inspire our listeners to really feel themselves in their greatness, in their magnificence? It would be <clears throat> identify, feel within yourself the deepest impulse of creativity that is moving you toward a fulfillment of your own expression. Connected with others whose expression is related to your own. Joining genius wherever it need be. Becoming telerotic, telos and eros, juicy love and high purpose joined in you. And allow the divine impulse of creation to turn on the whole way. Say yes to it. Follow it. If you are off track, you'll feel stress. If you're on track, you'll feel pleasure. There's an inner biofeedback in everybody. So the big yes to that which moves you to create is the way I would get everybody started. Thank you. Mm. Oh, how do we even move on from there? Um, Thank you. Even your tone just calmed down and there was just this beautiful warm energy that came from that so thank you for that Barbara I just want to remind our listeners we, we do have we do have a little more time here on the show but I just want to remind the listeners we're talking with Barbara Marks Hubbard and she has just released her new book the latest book one of many evolution of co-creation the promise will be kept and and again Barbara this new human that the future human that that we're all knowing but not quite being able to define or see or feel yet, but we're all in this place of evolution. And I would be remiss, um, we're talking about this impulse of creation, if I didn't ask you 
the definition of co-creation and what is our co-creative culture that we're all joining together in this genius genius to create? What is this co-creative culture we're looking for? Well, ideally, it would be one in which everybody's creative impulse to express their own highest potential, their love, their creativity, their genius, would find a way to fully express itself in synergy with others so that we would end up, we would become a synergistic world through people doing this. And the reason I love the local peace room is you can practice right where you are. And Mm -hmm. those smaller groups, everything important always starts in small groups. You never start with a meta change at a large scale. So I'm very drawn to this. And also, I do want to say that I hope people will read the Evolutionary Testament, and there is a guidebook to go with it that Carolyn Anderson and Reverend Jerry Farrell uh, is a unity minister from Grass Valley, that we would love for you to create your own small groups and read this together. And in this guidebook, there is a way to take a particular part of Scripture, read it aloud, and read some of my interpretation of it, and then begin to have your own interpretation. Because if this can activate in you your inner Christ, your inner evolutionary being that you all potentially are, it will serve its highest purpose. Mm. Yes, that, again, you encourage people in the book to gather in small communities, small groups, um, do this as a Bible study. There's a guidebook that goes along with it. You're gathering people in Berkeley. You're going to encourage us all to have those in our own community. Um, greater connectivity, greater synergy. Every This really is a positive outlook, and I know there's just a lot of, of negative, and we're seeing a lot of that ugly that you referred to right now in the media, but what a future this will be. Barbara, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and, and just sharing your light and your love with all of our listeners. Thank you so much, Julie, and blessings on you and all that you're doing. I just think it's remarkable. I'm so proud that you, too, are evolving your genius as I can see that for sure Mm, thank you well influenced greatly by you inspired greatly by you and um yeah, I I just hope to be just a fractal, a small little fractal of your greatness is enough. It's just such a beautiful energy that you carry in our world. So thank you so much. I'm talking with Barbara Marks Hubbard, and you can find her book, The Evolutionary Testament of Co-Creation, everywhere. But I encourage you to go to her website. That is evolve.org, evolve.org. Thank you, Barbara Marks Hubbard. And of course, you can always connect with me on my website, thedrjulieshow.com. So thanks for being with us together. We create greater connectivity, and that's always a good thing for the greater good of the whole. Until next time, I'm wishing you conscious love and connection. Bye for now.